Kwaku Ajiman. You may know this man from the OTN Chill podcast. Well, we brought him on today and had an awesome conversation. We started off sort of comparing the education and the costs of education between the UK and Australia, uh, which was quite eye-opening, for me anyway. Uh, and we the conversation evolved a lot into the actual skill of communication and the importance of it in our experience in the variety of OT settings that we've worked in. Uh, a very entertaining conversation. Uh, it's literally like two mates just hanging out and chatting, talking shop. So sit down, grab a cold drink, enjoy the sultry sounds of Kwaku. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. So I will. Yeah, I like you. You guys are lucky. You're back in. You're back into teaching, and everything seems to be back to back to normal. Yeah, I think there. I think there are. I don't know if all unis are like that, or even all courses. I think there's still some courses that are trying to, I guess, limit contact. Either that, or some of the really big courses probably actually struggle to get rooms that'll fit them. So you know, they'll they'll try and take things. Things like business studies and um, yeah, yeah. Or even psychology nursing. and nurse even the nursing, nurse, well, yeah, nursing, nursing degree yeah. here is massive. Like it's probably one of the biggest. That and business are probably the two biggest courses on our campus. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is just nuts. <laughs> so many people want to be nurses. So many people want to be business people. Well, they do. So, yeah, yeah, they do now because even like after all the COVID stuff, the Australian government's done this thing where they're essentially trying to incentivize people to study health professions because they've gone, mm. oh wait, we don't have enough. After all, of everything that's happened. The thing is, they don't pay. They don't pay health people enough either. So they, I don't know what the if you obviously have to pay to go to university. There, I'm guessing, or does the government subsidise like uh, university? You do. You pay it, but it, they essentially get like a government loan, um, yeah, which is yeah. pretty practical. Well, I think it's like four percent interest after you start paying it off. But essentially, it gets paid off by your taxes. You don't have to do yeah. anything. You just yeah. they just take the it thing out is, of your taxes. You, you, you pay, you pay, um, so I don't know how much a university costs, but hey, since I went to university the first time around, which was, I think it was like thousand, thousand two hundred pounds every, every year for three years. Now it's like nine thousand pounds. So for me to go, <laughs> for me to go to university for nine thousand pounds, that's basically like an eight grand increase, mm. um, over, over a 10 year period. And then, um, when I come out of uni, not to be paid anywhere near that much i just think oh man i don't know if i if there wasn't um uh like the occupation therapy course that i did if there wasn't um like a uh incentive for me to do it i wouldn't have done it i, yeah, I was yeah. like my, my workplace sort of um paid for it basically um for me to do it a part of the nhs but yeah i don't think i would have just stopped my all my career and, <laughs> and then gonna pay nine thousand pounds because you come out and you just def- definitely don't get paid um you definitely don't get paid enough and it takes a long time before you can even get to the level that you you might be like 
getting a lot of money um, from it, really. And I don't like private work you're going to do. It's just constantly be working just to make enough money for yourself, really. Yeah, I don't know what ours works out to be. I think I'm going to try and convert it to pounds. Uh, <laughs> I think when I finished this is terrible math but it was probably like my total debt at the end was probably close to be somewhere around 12 15,000 pounds something to that effect that's, probably closer to 12, low, 10, nice. 10 to 12 yeah yeah that's not that's not that bad but no. then i don't know where it's now for, no, no. For, yeah i'm sure it's a bit more know, now i have no idea what it is yeah. now but i'm sure it's a bit more now but yeah um like compared to like the states I was like, like yeah, well, I was laughing with someone the other day, and they were like, "Oh, I've got like two hundred thousand dollars in debt." I'm like, "I could do almost every course at the university for that much money." <laughs> I'm like, "What the hell?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. How would you yeah, ever I've... pay that much money off? You, but you know, I, I don't know what the states in terms of um, how much the OTs earn in general. Like if you got a good occupational therapy job, I don't yeah, know how yeah. much you could be earning. So, um, yeah, you could be earning I don't know, hundred, hundred um, thousand dollars a year. Um, over a few years, you probably finish paying off your debt if you want to. Um, yeah, yeah, you'd have to. Yeah, it's a bit crazy out there. It's a very, very different system. But that's very the other thing is, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't know what your base wages are generally when you get out of uni, but like ours aren't terrible in my state anyway. Ours is like state to state; they're different. And I know that where I live in Queensland is um, generally higher than most of the other states but it wasn't terrible like i didn't mind it so we have um we have a like a, a thing called agenda for change so um it's it's basically everyone gets the same <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless yeah. you unless you live in um like uh, london basically london is the only place that you could get um extra on top of your wages but just because of how expensive um it is to, live <laughs> to actually live there uh, <laughs> yeah so um yeah, we have this, and it goes from all the different bandings. Um, uh, it goes from like band three all the way to nine, This, which is like the consultants, surgeons, and all those type of um, people. So like a newly qualified uh, person, uh, nurses, uh, any AHPs, they come out, we come out of band five, um, and, they're sta- and they're starting wage is about 25,000 pounds-ish. Um and then yeah, every every couple of years your your money goes up um, until you move up a band. Yes, so you, it, it, it's okay, but really for the amount of money that you maybe spent on completing the course, I don't think it equates sometimes. Um, so that's a pretty similar system to how we've got. It doesn't incorporate everyone, but like so we've we've got a one like so our pay level kind of thing is essentially for all allied health. Um, and there's different levels for depending on your qualifications and that sort of stuff. But we come out at a HP three, so health professional three. I'm just looking that up. That is really low pay, low pay. Twenty five. I just actually did the conversion of twenty five thousand pounds in Australia. So it's about forty five thousand dollars Australian. Um, let me do the other way because ours is much higher than that. Uh, really, gosh. Uh, <laughs> AD in pounds. So when we come out, so our base level, so new grad, first job, you're looking at around thirty-seven thousand pounds. <laughs> that is mad. Thirty-seven thousand. Uh, and then, and then pounds. same thing, like it goes up in increments each year. Uh, yeah. Within so, and there's certain wow. so there's like a band level. So you're a, you start out on say like the band three, 
and then there's I think eight increments in that. So essentially, you go up an increment mm. each year. So you're going you're going to go up, uh, you know, every year. Well, up an increment every year for eight years, and then you're at the top of that band. Jeez. And then you can get a HP4 job, which is kind of like a senior mm. therapist job. And then there's I think five bands within that range. So again, same thing each year, go up a band. Um, but like I was, I was at the top of the HP3 band, and I was there for a few years. So I kept getting like mm. just the inflation um, increase. And I was on about fifty-five thousand pounds. That is that <laughs> makes me feel sad because to earn fifty-five thousand pounds in the NHS, you have to be basically managing. I, I would say managing the whole therapy department, mm. basically. That's that's that is. And like I said, I it's, it's different. For, it's different for each state, of course. Um, of course. And our state, from what I've heard anyway, our state is one of the more higher paying states. So just before I graduated, they had this massive, because they renegotiate that agreement every, I think it's four years or something. But they just had a massive one just before I graduated where uh, they'd agreed to this massive pay increase because apparently they hadn't been looking after their HPs, their health professionals for, for years, or I don't know what the exact reasoning was. So I've been lucky enough to be on the sort of the good the good money uh, <laughs> since I came out. Um, Jeez, that is... But yeah, so it's it's not a bad starting point. So no, it's not bad. I mean, at I compare all. it to I've... other systems, and like, yes, our degrees are quite cheap compared to other countries and other systems, and we come out on a fairly decent wicket. That's I mean, that's government mm. as well. Like, obviously, if you're private, you're going to be negotiating your own salary. Yeah, um, but at least it gives you a baseline like something to sort of start negotiations i guess jeez that is that i think that's wonderful like no wonder like when we're studying when i was studying a lot of people my class oh yeah maybe when i qualify i'll I'll travel down to australia and or new zealand (laughs) or somewhere like that just to work i'm like well you if you want to that's that's up to you but i i didn't i didn't realize like the difference because if you're earning if you come out as a like a band five we call it here newly qualified Mm. And then you're able to, I don't know what the tests and exams you might have to do to convert, but to convert and get and jump up from 25K um, to 37 mm. or even 35. That's a big that's, jump. That's a massive jump. That's a massive jump because you, not a lot of people will even get, get to that kind of level or, or want to get to that kind of level, to be honest, because, you know, mm. they need more. We need more workers than managers, right? <laughs> so most people will stay at the band five, band six, um, band six level. And yeah, when you're a band six, like you said, the H H P four, yeah, you're expected to be this um sort of specialist position. <laughs> See, they they used to do, and they they canned it. They used to have like two streams that you could go down, where you'd have a H P four, and there was two ways you could go. There was a a clinical way, and then a managerial way. So you could be become a H P four manager, or you could become a H P four clinician, which was almost like a specialist. Mm. So you'd be you know working in some sort of specialist team, um, you know, whether it was like an early psychosis team or something like mm-hmm. that. So you could do the HP4 route um, without the managerial aspect to it uh, and just mm. essentially become a an advanced clinician, um, which was cool. But then they kind of canned that and just went, well, we don't really need the formality of two streams. It's just a HP4 and whether it's a management position or a clinical one, um, we'll just put, yeah. them, put them where we need them essentially. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm in comparison to what you're saying, I'll, I'll probably be on HP4 now. That's, I'm, I'm banned six um, yeah. in my role now. Um, so, and I've not, not particularly long been in there. I've been, I've been very lucky. Uh, it's opportunistic <laughs> progress. <laughs> hey, that's, that's still progress. <laughs> you got, yeah, you got to take it. I'm not going to turn it down because when what, you get there and then you just, you just do, you, you just learn on, on your feet and you just sort of just like basically carry on. Um, so I'm very fortunate. And then recently my manager left my band seven, which probably HP five for you yep. for your system that, that um, would definitely be sort of a management position yeah. here so yeah. uh, my team is very like my team is different um in terms of she's she's she was she had a great role band seven role yeah, because yeah. you're all clinical and it's not a big team that you have to um, supervise it yeah, it's, it's, awesome. it's only really it's only really me and and uh, the assistant ot really that's that's it there's only three of us um but she recently left so now there's opportunities come up for me to then like do a perceptorship into that position rather yeah. than just jumping straight straight so if i give myself like a year and then just meet all the i don't know what all, all the things i need to meet and then I, I, I again the opportunity will come up for me to just step in there yeah um, that'll be awesome yeah that'll be amazing i can't i can't wait i really can't wait but i'm, I'm not i'm definitely not going to rush into it because i, I know people want to try and knock you down <laughs> once you once you get there yeah, once yeah. you get there quickly i know i'm not that experienced but anyway as i'm very lucky i've got a really good clinical lead yeah that's a, um, that helps that's a massive yeah thing. yeah she she's very much like don't, don't there's no rush <laughs> you know take your time yeah i, I know that when you to get there but just take your time don't rush to it to make any decision but yeah fingers crossed i can i can get that position in the next year or so yeah so you said before that work pushed you into doing it were you working there before you became an ot no, no, not where, not where I am now. Oh, okay. You no, know, my my previous um, job. What, what was that in? Like mine was, yeah, mine. My, I was I was working in a learning disabilities. So I, it was a bit like it was two different posts basically. Um, so I'll go back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so when I finished my sports science degree, I was sort of just wondering what I wanted to do. I was a bit. I was a little, little bit lost, really. I was a young guy, you know, just come out of university. Um, I had the dream of working with, like, Manchester United. You know, As I'm sure sports. every Englishman does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to be, like, some of the, a sports scientist, sort of. Um, yeah, I just, just wanted to work with the best of the best, really. Um, but that didn't pan out that, uh, that way. I didn't really want to work for free. Uh, I had a bit too much pride, I think. <laughs> so yep. a lot of the jobs that were coming up was, like, um, yeah, you got to work for free. We only pay you like travel. And I'm like, you know, I just come out of uni with this, all this debt. Yeah, <laughs> I need, I need a little bit of money. Um, but yeah, so I sort of I've been the idea quite quickly, uh, and then I moved on to uh, working um, like personal training, sort of uh, fitness instructor, um, sort of position. And I did that with a, like a local council gym. And then my my friend I went to college with before I went to university he'd work, he was working in a learning disability service as a sports technician um and then he was leaving to become a paramedic and then he rang me one day he's like oh they're looking for people like if you if you really want a job <laughs> come and take this job because there's a lot of opportunities and things like that and it's quite a good job mm. so I was like oh you know I might just go for it I might just go for it so I went for that and then yeah I got I got the job but then another opportunity came up. That job was part time, so I didn't really want a part time position. And another opportunity came up for me to do in, work with in a mental health rehab 
um, as part of that job. So I'd work in the learning disabilities um, unit and also a mental health rehab unit. That's so cool. I just combined that. Um, yeah, and I'd, I'd never ever stepped foot in any, any, <laughs> anything, any place like that before. I didn't even know it really existed. Yeah, you know, I've never had family members in any of those type of um, places. And then, yeah, just <laughs> I just went in there, and I just, yeah, just just went for it and started working. Then I eventually I stayed there for eight years in total. But halfway through, um, there was an opportunity to do occupational therapy because, as we, we said said earlier, I'd hit the ceiling of where I was in in terms of my abandon and pain. Yep. So opportunity came up and I thought, just, just go for it, really. Now I'm an occupational therapist. <laughs> That's really cool. I, you don't hear very often, or I haven't heard very often, of like essentially workplaces encouraging you to, to follow a specific profession or anything like that. I mean, I've heard of workplaces that say, oh, like, if you want to go higher, you're going to need something else. But, you know, so in terms of yeah, yeah. encouraging people or pushing people into uh, university education, you don't, you don't tend to hear that very often. Uh, well, the, the thing is, the NHS back when I was um, uh, studying, my, they were doing something called an in-service courses. I think they still do that now. They, it's just under a different banner. It's called apprenticeship now, mm-hmm. um, which which was basically what it was. Um, so you go to university. Well, I went to university twice a week and I worked three days a week. So my, okay. it was a part-time, uh, part-time course, basically. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're doing it now, but it's just under an, a different banner. But there's always encouragement to progress yourself you, you can't be stuck personally I, I was never going to be stuck in no, uh, the yeah. position I was I just knew that the money was not enough um we've got to look after ourselves I'm not I'm not particularly money driven but you just literally I was living in London and I couldn't <laughs> survive on that kind of I had a very young family as well I could not survive on the pay that I was getting so I, I needed something else either was to leave that role and do something completely different or actually stay where I am get paid study and become a uh, you know a qualified professional yeah yep. such and then after that i can move through the bands and you know uh, you know progress in, in in money in that way um but yeah it was it was it's, it was basically a free course free education and i don't yeah. think anyone should ever turn down free education no 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 <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing like I, I think a lot of people uh with like the, the money thing like and i can't remember who wrote did the research but i know that it's been quoted a thousand times there's research saying out there that you know, up to, and I don't know what the equivalent is in pounds, but there's a certain level of like, you need to get to where money will actually increase your happiness, but then anything past that, it's like loses its effect kind of thing. And it's kind of like a, just enough to, you know, pay the bills and be comfortable. And not, everything after that is just like too much after that will add extra stress yeah. and extra worry and that kind of thing. But I think until you get to that point, and it kind of, it does uh, that makes me think about what we're talking about before in terms of how much we get paid starting out here because i i do worry that that being so close so in australia i know the the research that that amount was around like 75 grand australian ish um and i worry that you know if clinicians are hitting that almost too early in their career they then become sort of complacent because it's like oh i've hit that stage now like i'm happy i'm comfortable etc there's no incentive to improve. There's no incentive yeah. to do more. Um, I'd be interested to see if anyone has done any research into that. Um, just comparing different countries and 
how long it takes a graduate to actually sort of hit that, I don't know what you call it, happiness level, that, that, that <laughs> amount level. of money, um, that, that where the, the happiness impact, uh, I guess, stops losing its effect. Yeah, I would be interested in that. I, I think it, obviously everything's about personal um, preference and where, where you see yourself as content because um, we know that people have got nothing. People mm. got really minimal money and they completely happy yeah yeah um and there's people that got loads and loads of money who are either completely happy but actually there's there's always something that's like you just mentioned there's always a stressor because (laughs) you need to the more money you make the more you need to make as well and then you put yourself under different types of stresses to to make it and you know (laughs) like i'm thinking about it now coming back to like what i do now it's about sometimes when the people that work with have been making that money at a very young age just putting themselves at riskier situations to make more to make more because if i'm earning a thousand pounds a day i don't want to earn 200 pounds tomorrow i want i want to keep earning a thousand pounds every single yeah. day and and to do that it's hard work to do that you put yourself up or your well-being at a difficult difficulty because you're even overworking um not really sleeping well um you know you're taking on opportunities that are not particularly great really you're just saying yes to everything because you want to make this all, all this kind of money because your outgoings become small so yeah i would be interested in in that um but yeah you have you just have to find a number that is is that makes you content yeah and when i when i was in my when i was working as a uh, like a fitness instructor in the gym one fantastic advice the guy uh, my manager gave me he's a great guy um, he said you know when you go to petrol station and you you're filling up your your petrol and then you don't look at a number you just fill it up until you hear the click that's when that's when you feel content that's you know. and i was like that that's that's amazing <laughs> that's a that's a, a great way too so you don't have to worry about i'm only putting in this much because i haven't got that much money in my account as long as when you feel content enough to fill up your petrol and just hear the click at yeah. the end without looking that's when that's when he felt content i've always kept that in my mind and and, and now so I, I feel like i'm content now um because i can i, will, I am able to do that i don't have to, I don't have to <laughs> worry too much about it yeah yeah but the, the money that I earn compared to maybe someone that is um, up, above me is it's actually not it's actually not that much really but I feel content with that level of money that I have and I think it's money is an interesting one especially when it comes to I guess how it impacts people how, like how they make their decisions like you were talking about before like someone who sort of earns like a thousand pounds a day wants to keep earning that or wants to keep increasing and even earning more and more and more and that sort of stuff and um uh, it can lead to some poor decisions on terms of how to maintain that, but it also the I, I feel like it's probably one of very few things in the world. And I, I, I mean, you're from the UK. I'm from Australia. We're predominantly talking about sort of a Westernized culture here, but yeah, I feel like it's one of few things that can make someone make a decision that goes against predominantly what their values might be like i know people that'll make a decision based on money like whether it's to take a job or leave a job or not to leave a job uh is probably a big one nowadays as well Uh, a lot of Mm. people feel Mm. stuck because uh and i've been there myself like i I can't leave this job it pays too good like i'll never find another job that you know it pays this good kind of thing even though it's at a detriment to you know your mental health, or your well-being, or your family's well-being, or just the amount of time that you're you're losing during your week, etc. <laughs> so, you know, I I'm not I'm not like a 
a political um, a mastermind. I don't know a lot about politics. I only know what I know um, from what I've listened to. But when you talk about capitalism, basically, that's what is. I think the Western world has driven a lot of us to, uh, so that we we can't make those decisions actually that will, uh, will be beneficial to well-being. If you're if you're in a place or you're earning this kind of money, but you can't stop because when you stop and you even have to take a lower pay job that means you can't pay your mortgage you can't you can't hear that click on your on your petrol you know you can't go on a nice holidays that you want to go on um you can't do all these things that this life has set you up to be or you can't pay your bills and once you can't pay your bills who's going to come after you obviously these big companies they want the money they want (laughs) they want all the the things they so yeah no it's, it's just the western world is um there's a lot to like about it but there's a lot to dislike <laughs> like like about the systems that are in place because they're just it's like you're being basically not forced not forced but you're 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 cogging the system that you know you can be pulled away very quickly um and no no one sort of really cares yeah as much as as much as you can be replaced very quickly um but yeah you're basically you essentially feel stuck that you need to please everyone around you i remember hearing once i can't remember where it was but someone was saying that that most companies will pay you enough that you want to go but not enough that you can leave so you kind of <laughs> you are just like stuck in the middle there yeah, um, the threshold but it, yeah it's interesting like there's a lot of people that like my wife is one who will like she gets paid really good money for for her job and almost feels obliged to work well in excess of the hours that you know would normally be assigned for that particular job um and her justification is often like well you know they pay me to do it and i'm like well yeah but you're just burning yourself into the ground kind of thing yeah um it's it's interesting because a lot of people will push it's, it's probably one of few things and again money being the driver that people will push themselves into a place where they end up hating the job whereas yeah. there aren't too many like if we look at like our hobbies and that sort of stuff like once we sort of start even getting a mild dislike for it generally we just get bored and stop but <laughs> as soon as you add money into the equation it's almost like this uh we we, we change the motivation it no longer it's no longer even if it's something that you previously were really passionate about you can change mm. it uh, mm. change the dynamic of it just by sort of adding a financial component and that's one of the things like i've had a lot of people talk about oh you know take your hobby and then turn it into a job and i'm like yeah, that sounds really good in theory but have you thought about the fact that when you do that that hobby that thing that you might previously have really loved isn't going to have the same meaning and you might not love yeah. it anymore you, you may destroy yeah. it essentially yeah, no, because it's yeah, because the pressure and the stress will come on to make it the best, to be the best. Whereas maybe when it's a hobby, you can yeah, you can forego some of the mistakes that you make. It's, it's not really an issue. It's like oh, okay, that, that went wrong. I'll try again. <laughs> I'll yeah. try again to go. Whereas when you're making money from it, when it essentially becomes a job, <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult. And I'll give you an example. Like I'm, I, I do um fitness training for a semi-professional fo- uh, football team. Um, Manchester United. Literally, I, yeah, no, not much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, one one of the things, one of my passions was always to work with a, a sports team. But obviously, I didn't do that. But I, I, I'm doing a little bit of it now. Um, 
and I, I literally get paid petrol money. Like it's, 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 it's nothing. It's literally nothing. But mm. that level, as soon as you get the players, in terms of the players, as soon as the players get that bit of extra money, it becomes a job for them, isn't it? Mm. And you can see the stresses, um, especially at the level I am. These guys get paid, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll probably guess, I don't know their wages. I'll probably guess around between maybe £100 and probably the best player in the team probably earn about £300 a week which is a lot of money for, to be doing something that really, at this level anyway, it's a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> it's essentially a hobby. Something they'd probably Whereas be doing anyway. Yeah, yeah, you'd be yeah. doing it. If you didn't get paid, you'd yeah. still be doing it anyway. Um, so you, I can see when, I, when I'm like with them, with them when it comes on a Saturday and we've got a football match or something like that, you can see some of the pressures that these guys are putting on themselves because they want to impress, you know, because you need to get paid. Yeah. Um, you need to want, you want to be in the team every single week because that's the only way you're going to get paid. If you're not in the team, you don't get paid. And sometimes you just, you see them, um, you just, I, I could just feel it. Maybe because of my little bit of clinical background, I, I, I just observe and I see the, uh, the way they interact with everyone else. I just see that there's something else going on for this guy that he doesn't want to say. <laughs> because he knows if he says it, it probably will be out of the team yeah, yeah. Um, and, and not getting that £300 a week because it's essentially become a job where it's actually it was just a hobby you probably didn't make as a professional footballer. Um, so it's basically become a, a hobby and now you're getting paid for that hobby and now you're added on stresses. You know, it's very, it's very, very tricky. I think that's that's one of the why, one of the things when it comes to people like categorizing what occupations are, you know, most people know the usual like, oh, productivity, leisure, rest, that kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to like even in that example, I'm like, well, as an OTM, I'm meant to be thinking about it from a point of, well, this has been changed from a hobby to a productivity occupation. And in my clinical experience, I didn't, I never used to like thinking about like essentially categorizing occupations like that. And I know that goes against the grain because I know that's the way 90% of people were taught how they work. But <laughs> I, I much preferred uh, to look at, uh, it was a theory, I think it was Karen Wiley Hamill put forward about looking at reasons for engagement instead of categorizations for occupation. So essentially, we're looking at the same occupation. It's playing football and it might be specific. It might be a bit more specific as to playing a specific position because I know that you know different positions have different mm, training mm. that they need to do like a, training to be a goalkeeper very different from training to be a striker yeah so there might be some more specific stuff but essentially it's the same occupation but the reason for engagement is changing similar to what we we're talking about before like as soon as you add money to anything and turn it into a professional uh hobby or whatever it was um the the reason for engagement changes which has it changes the meaning it changes the purpose uh, it essentially changes a lot to do with that occupation, even though yeah. what you're actually doing, like physically, might be exactly the same. A hundred percent. I look at it from that point of view as well, like in my current role now, um, when, when some of these um, young men that I work with, when they initially start out, it's like, well, these are the reasons they're telling me. I don't know the true reason. I can only go on by what they're saying to me. Um, initially start out, some some people said, oh, yeah, because everyone else had trainers. Everyone else had nice trainers. So I just wanted to get nice trainers. Yeah. So then you get sucked in into this kind of lifestyle of, well, you've got those trainers now. 
um, and then someone else will come along and say, well, how did you get those trainers? Um, bring, bring me in, tell me more about how you got that trainers. And you start making networks for yourself. And this becomes basically essentially a job. It becomes your job and you're under pressure to make those communications, make those links, make those uh, maybe uh, drug deals or robberies, doing these things so that everyone else around you mm. can benefit. Everyone is looking at you to benefit from it. And some people have said like, oh, I, I want to make this this amount of money because I want to help my mama or help my family out. Well, <laughs> that adds on, uh, added on pressure, whereas initially you were just doing it to get yourself trainers because you like the look of the trainers, yeah. <laughs> because you, yeah, like the trainers. So, so, but now it's like oh i need to look after my family and then it goes on to back to taking some of those um risks or making those decisions that actually can can cause you to you know um have difficulties in your well-being essentially yeah because i think you'd almost see it the other way as well uh where you work especially with people that are coming into incarceration there might be some I'm assuming they're they're probably I mean even like self care type stuff. There might be some occupations that they still do that they were doing outside, but then the purpose is very different. Like I, mm-hmm. um, I know recently, and I put an episode about my recent stint in hospital. And for me, like at home, like I might go and have a shower in the afternoon, not just because I've, I'm dirty or anything, but just to relax because hot water's nice and you can chill and listen to music and whatever. Whereas in hospital, it was very much like, here's the times that someone isn't using the bathroom, you've got to go in, and it's very much for a purpose of of specifically just for hygiene, predominantly. Um, same occupation, <laughs> yes, right. but different yeah. different meaning. We've changed the reason for engagement in that occupation. Well, using that self-care shower type of being clean as an example, that's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a um, flashpoint. Um, in in the prison with the young men because you know if you think about prison you basically get told what to do at what time to do it um so imagine being stuck behind your door for, for so long and then you only get like half an hour to go and shower or even less than that 20 minutes to shower these guys will stretch that 20 minutes <laughs> and then that, that because they want to talk to their friends because it's like a communal type of um yeah. shower so they want to just you know, they've been out there, they've been inside for, I don't know, 15 hours or whatever it is. And they just literally want to have a conversation, a bit of banter with the with the friends in there. And so whilst this banter for them, it's like, this is my social connect, uh, connections. Like, I, I just want I just want to have a laugh, basically. They, mm. These guys are young, they, they're 18 to 21 year olds. Um, but then you get the officers that'll come along and say, right, 20 minutes is up. <laughs> These guys will totally ignore it. Um, so... Just looking after yourself, showering, and everything for those young men actually is turned into a, a social activity yeah. <laughs> for them. That time is, is restricted in time, but then can cause clashes and cause rifts in relationships um, with the people that they is meant to, are meant to be looking after them. So, yeah, it, it, the reasons for engaging in different occupations and actually being allowed to engage in those occupations in different arenas def- definitely changes with, with whatever wherever it is. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I always like looking at it, I guess, conceptually from that perspective rather than, you know, this is productivity, this is leisure, blah, blah, blah. And I know that's important so people can get their heads around like the, I guess, the breadth um, of, of occupations that there are. I, but... just, I just wonder, actually, sorry to cut you off. I just no, wonder right. if it's, it's, it's probably more relevant in different settings. So I think this is the difficulty sometimes mm. I have with occupational therapy. Um, as much as I love the the concept and everything for it it's it's so broad that mm. to apply one concept to 
everything just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it really does not make any sense. Um, we borrow a lot from different um, sort of um, uh, areas like yep. psychology, sociology. We, we borrow, we borrow everything. <laughs> um, so then to borrow everything and then all of a sudden say, right, we're going to apply these, this particular concept to everything. It just, mm. it, it just doesn't make sense because the way a psychologist thinks about self-care productivity and leisure is completely different to the way a sociologist <laughs> would think about it because the sociologist would be looking at, okay, this person really needs to do this to do to make this happen the psychologist would be like oh why why are you doing this hmm. <laughs> why are you doing this well, what can you... behind it yeah. yeah yeah so it's very it's very very different so yeah that's one of the things that i have difficulty with in terms of applying like a, a blanket um sort of idea or concept um up, up to everything so for me yeah, where yeah. i'm working it was, it's completely different to working in a in an acute setting in, in an orthopedic setting there's there's no even there's no there's no difference that's about it uh, literally other than their people and we're just trying to make them we're trying to help them uh, increase their um their, their well-being from a position that's a bit, a bit difficult um but yeah there's there's no comparison i can't i can't even yeah i can't even uh, think of any similarities because thinking back to one of my first placements in an orthopedic um unit i was doing like a um initial interview you know i think i listened to your podcast i listened to your recent one about your hospital stay and the people asking you the same questions yeah so I, I remember doing something like that and like um and i'm asking someone oh where do you live um how, how have you got stairs is there a step outside your house i think there's no way I, that these questions are not applicable to me when where i am, where I am now because there, there's no yeah basically there's no similarities for me to there's no point of me even doing that um because yeah. these guys would be like but yeah some places would be like applying that to everyone in in a place in like an acute setting so yeah i was just thinking occupational therapy widely i think we just need to realize that the big concepts that we're taught in university actually can be very very diluted when you come into practice because practice is is very very different to what your uh the, the idealistic way that we're, we're yeah. taught in university yeah and i think uh, in a lot of instances the university i i feel like and i'm gonna get a lot of hate for this but i feel like be careful yeah no, i'm well past being careful um i feel like universities well, people expect to come out of university and be like, this is it, I'm 100%, I'm a fully qualified, ready to roll OT. In a lot of instances, you are. But a better perspective, my opinion, uh, is to look at university as like, here's the groundwork. University is giving me the, the slab to build this house on. Um, it's not, and like I... I learned a little bit about mental health in university, but the majority of my specific mental health knowledge came from working in mental health. <laughs> or it started during placement, obviously, and actually, but still, even then, it's working within the field. Um, and I feel like people are, are relying on university almost too much where they're like, I'm going to learn. I need to learn everything. Or they'll get out of university and go, oh, I didn't learn any of this. What a shit course. I'm like, well, mm. that's not the point of it. And the fact, like you pointed out, like OT is so broad. If we were going to set up university to, you know, churn out little cookie cutter 
OTs that work specifically in specific areas, it'd end up nice. being like engineering where you would have to pick yeah. a specialty and you know you would train to be a mental health OT or you would train to be a pediatric OT. And if you wanted to change, you'd have to go back and do a bridging mm. course to, to cover the other specialty kind of thing. Whereas mm. I personally feel, I actually like the way it is at the moment because I feel like we're going to end up with, and we already are ending up with, um, a much richer, uh, I guess, fabric of uh, what of OTs and the skills that other OTs are bringing into the profession yeah. as opposed to just what we're taking from university. Like if I had just practiced for a decade with just what I learned at university, I would be an absolutely freaking terrible OT. <laughs> like I guarantee it. But the underpinnings that I yes. was taken away from that, I can then apply to you know when i work in mental health or when i work even even now when i'm going back into academia and i'm actually teaching like there's still ot stuff that i learned at university that i can apply yeah, to those course. situations even when when it comes down to meeting with students about student welfare and that sort of stuff like there is mm. my brain still works in an occupational way i'm still looking at their situation um with that sort of occupational lens so it's just something that i picked up in university and then also, if, depending on what it is, if it might be a mental health lens that I picked up partly in university and then predominantly through practice. OT is just a skill set. It's just a tool yeah. in the toolbox. And what you add to that toolbox outside of university is completely up to you, but it's going to make you a very unique clinician. But I think what happens, Broker, I think what happens is that you come out of university uh, you, and, and like you said, really, it's actually just the foundations of a building. Mm. And then if you try to, what I've noticed, especially on social media, um, if you try to step outside of that foundation, you sort of, some people will just instantly attack, <laughs> attack you. And naturally it might put people back in their shells because I don't know, I, you know, I, I don't know. And I think like, that's why when I, I wrote a, a, a chapter in, in, in Rebecca's book, um, yep. and I, and I knit, Yes, yes, and I, one of the things I kept on thinking about, and that's what she used as a title, that occupational therapy is just too nice. I think there's too many nice people. No, I'm not trying to tell. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that people should be horrible. I'm not. I'm not saying that people should be horrible. That's not. That's not. That's that's wrong. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't be horrible. But I think it's just a. It's just a lot of nice people in inside occupational therapy that just want things to be the status quo. Yeah, and I just. I think that's the problem. Because, yeah, when you come out of university and you've got the foundation, it's about adding all your actual life experience on, on top of that um, foundation, not just, you know, churning out everything that you've just been taught about university, about using yeah, yeah. self-care productivity. If you don't agree with it, okay, you, you don't agree with it. Find, find a different way that will match your own values um, and, you know, match the way you feel like you need to work. But you know you have the basic knowledge. You know that you know about productivity, okay? We know the concept of productivity just form, formulate a different way to you know unpick that with someone because yeah. ultimately we are still working with people that's no uh, matter what we do we're working with another human being and you're a human yourself um yeah, yeah so just just unpick that a little bit and see how how that will um work out for you because yeah I, I just think when people try to step outside the box a little bit they just get shut down quite quickly without real um reasoning sometimes it just becomes just a bit of a status quo and that's not that's not great for anything yeah, no, and I, I, I completely agree. And I, I can put my hand up and say, especially earlier in my career, I was probably guilty of doing exactly that. Um, 
I, I look at my career and how I've sort of evolved as a, an OT in kind of phases in that when you first come out, you don't really know anything really. And I didn't know anything. And I was just doing whatever it is that my workplace wanted me to do because, you know, it's your first job and you want to impress and you want to do that. Um, and then it sort of went through another phase where I realized that what I was doing, I felt like I was drifting away from the profession and what I was doing wasn't really aligned with OT or OT values. And so delved down that occupational science route. And I think for a period there, I definitely did go to that sort of extreme sort of ox science or nothing route. Uh, and that was the time period where I could definitely, I, I, I don't recall any specific examples, but I can guarantee I probably did um, do exactly what you just described to, to someone at least. Yeah. Um, and that was before I sort of started looking at OT as more of a, a toolkit rather than like a lifestyle. All these OTs that think like, oh, OT is a lifestyle and yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. For some people, I for some people, granted, it might be. For me, it's not, and I absolutely love this profession, and will I've done a lot for it, and will continue to do everything in my power for it. But I don't. It's not a lifestyle. It's still a, a toolkit for me. Uh, it's it still it's still just something that I can use in whatever way I want. I, that's literally. the that's the the other bit that I really love about it is this, there's like a a creative. I, I was talking to someone the other day about the the term like the art and science of OT, and I'm like, well, what is the art? I'm like, I think you put that up somewhere, didn't you? you? I you, did. You put that, yeah, you put that up. Somewhere, I did, yeah. and I have recorded an episode, which will be out by the oh, time good. this one comes out. But good. um, it uh, it, I'm like, what is the art? Because everyone talks about, oh, it's the art and science of OT, but no one can tell me like, well, what is the art of OT? Uh, and just then, like I'm thinking now, know. it's more the art maybe more about how you can creatively apply the the skill set, mm. maybe. Mm. And that's actually something that's mm. not in the episode because I didn't think of it until just then. <laughs> um, I think you might be right, and I, I think that's what that's, that's why I find it fantastic, fascinating when I talk to different occupational therapists who work in completely different fields that you would not have thought that occupational therapy would be basically um so that's i think maybe that's where the art of the profession might come from um and and the the science is it's basically the boring of other of other areas and just you know um, mixing it all together to create this occupational therapy concept um idea idea of it is and that's uh, and you know People might disagree, but that's absolutely fine to do that as well because I'm pretty sure psychology are probably stealing some of our or borrowing, not stealing, borrowing some of our um, our con- <laughs> our concepts as well, same as other other different um, professions are borrowing. And I don't I don't see it as a problem because my my one of the things that I value the most is that ultimately we are all working with people. <laughs> so whatever works best for the person, if it's me. If it's the psychologist, if it's this, um, you know, art therapist or music, wh- whoever is doing it, is ultimately to make this person um, well enough, or you know, understand themselves better enough to live the life that they want to live, and that's 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 ultimately it. Unless you're, you know, you know, one of the things I always I hold this my like, no one owns these institutions or places that, that, that no one owns it. We all own it, and we all mm. we all got responsibility for it and we've all got responsibility to look after people in our care all of us mm. it's not it's not me we don't work in silos it's not me alone that just because i've 
I'm a qualified occupational therapist. I'm going to fix someone's um, um, self-care needs. <laughs> it's really not, it's not just me because I need the nurse to help me sometimes. You know, I, I need, I'm not going to be going every day to wash, help wash this person. I, yeah, I need yeah. to work with the nurse to be able to do it. So yeah, ultimately I think, yeah, I think we, we just need, <laughs> I, I don't get too hung up, like you said, about the lifestyle. I don't, I don't get too hung up about that either. Like it's not, it's not, it's not really lifestyle. We, we're all here to, help this person progress through any sort of um difficulty they've experienced if it's injury or uh you know mental health difficulty wh whatever it is we're all here to support this person to make that transition um back to what they were before or even better than they were before and i think that that that's something that i've said in the past too is that a lot of it struggle and i i don't know where it stems from but a lot of it struggle to realize that one not everyone needs an OT because even I've had students that are like, oh, everyone needs an OT because we help everyone. I'm like, no, that's you're taking the wrong message out of this. But also that there there are certain times uh, during, say, a person's like, so someone goes in the hospital. There's a whole process that you know they'll go from this ward to this ward. Like like in my episode, I started out in ED, I ended up on a ward, laid it down, had surgery, blah blah blah, but. There are certain times during that process when it might be more appropriate for occupational therapy than others. And vice versa, there are times during that process, depending on where you work, et cetera, where it might be completely inappropriate for occupational therapy. Mm. And it's about, I think, one of the skill sets of the profession is knowing when you're not needed, not just assuming that you're always needed and that you can... Yeah. Because I, I see too many people like, oh, you know, I tried to engage with this person and they just you know, told me to fuck off or something. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean that like, that's not something that's wrong with them. Like it could just be that you just picked the terrible time to try and engage with the person. Like they've just come into hospital, they're aggravated. And again, I'm basing this off my experience in mental health, but they're aggravated. They just need time to chill out. And you've gone in there with, you know, a coloring book and some pencils. And I'm like, well, I'd probably tell you to get stuffed as well. Like, yeah. What are you expecting? Yeah. Like, not it's everyone really needs us, and there are certain times when we probably just need to take a back seat and just chill, just wait. <laughs> I, I think I, I think that will probably that comes with experience though as well, because um, yeah, we, I think again we have this idealistic view of that we we are needed everywhere, um, and that's probably has a difficulty on the profession being recognised as well. Um, because we because we feel like we need it everywhere we we feel like we can work everywhere which which probably is true but we don't have to work everywhere yeah <laughs> we, and i think we, that's, we that's the to. big difference right there yeah because yeah. I, I see so, a lot um, of i see a lot of people that are like oh you know ot's work in all these different places and we can work through all these different phases of someone's care etc so therefore that equals everyone needs us all the time and i'm like well hmm. they're, they're very different like yes we can work everywhere but whether we should is a completely different question. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I definitely, yeah, I think that, yeah, it comes with, like I said before, it comes with the experience, especially like you mentioned, like when someone comes in a, in a very difficult state, agitated, you know, not really happy to be where they are, which is completely acceptable. Like, <laughs> so I, I, I just drifted off there. I'm trying to think, like, who, what was the last time? I always ask this question to you. When was the last time you sat in a group? with other people talking about stuff when it wasn't like your friends 
it's, it's a very strange concept. So trying to, as an occupational therapist, so yeah, we're trying to help these people. It's, it's fantastic. And when we do, and we do a fantastic job. I'm not undermining anyone's ability to, you know, do great work with, with people. But it's so surreal to be in, in a place and then be thrown into a group with someone that you've only known for a couple of weeks. That, that, is, not, that is not something that we do normally. Um, even we all feel nervous when we go to different trainings and we have to sit next to someone. Oh, hello. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's very, very difficult. And I think you're absolutely right. I think you, we have to know our um, when, when we're needed, where we're needed, and, and maybe not feel so bad if we are not needed and not like trying to fight our way into somewhere that it might actually be detrimental. Mm. Um, at that time to the relationship that you want to build with this person um, you, I would say the simple question is how are you doing today um, do you need anything if you don't need anything okay that's absolutely fine just let me know when you when you need something yeah yeah <laughs> do, do you find because it's something I've observed a few times um, do you find in your like, other OTs that you know that if they are sort of rejected by someone that they're trying to engage in they tend to take it personally uh, from from memory, uh, yeah, some people have. Um, yeah, I, I, I've, yeah, I do remember people having done that. In uh, maybe when I wasn't qualified, um, I could see the OTs there feeling a little bit, taking it a bit personally. Uh, but, but now that I've become an occupational therapist myself, I and especially in 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 where I am now, we work in a very relational model. I know everyone tries to say that, but we, we actually <laughs> really do. It's all about the relationship. So if you if 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 I get rejected by someone, um I can explore that. I'm open to exploring that with a person um later on down the line. It's not don't don't sort of hold it and then damage your relationship with that person mm. or don't feel don't feel like oh this person's not gonna respond respond to me um positively because it is it does it does go into your mind and you know maybe the way you might approach the person or what you might be offering to the person might might be might be subconsciously might be a little bit less than you would to someone else that actually find you very very helpful um but yeah no some people i know definitely have taken it personally i i i know now not to yeah uh, maybe when i first was work, not before before i was an occupational therapist maybe i did when you know someone that maybe previously was very happy to engage and all of a sudden they just sort of rejected me i probably did take it personally but now i'm just thinking to myself it's all about the relationships the people we all go through rifts in different relationships it's just about exploring it after after that because especially where i am now it's about the role modeling as well yeah yeah. i, I can reject you or you can reject me but we've got to talk about what happened there and if, if we're okay because I'm going to be working with you for a long time. <laughs> so I don't know when all of a sudden you keep rejecting and all of a sudden the relationship breaks down and then you don't want to work with me. Um, and then like the whole thing, the whole setup just goes out the window. That's not what I want. Um, but yeah, we always have to keep in mind that actually it's not personal. These guys are in very distressing places, um, difficult places, even in acute hospitals. You know, like it's just like going back to your um, episode. You you don't particularly want to be there. <laughs> you don't you don't well, want to be there. I much prefer not to. <laughs> exactly. No no one really wants to be there. So actually, you have to take in, in account all these um all these things that are going through people's minds if they do reject you. And just don't take it. Literally, don't take it personally. It's okay. Yeah, I I, I wonder though. If it's the tack that a lot of OTs take when they first approach a person, because I was, I think that there are definitely settings where 
people are expecting you to come up to them and immediately jump into the clinical stuff. Like if you've just had surgery, for example, you're on a surge ward and people don't want to sit and generally, I'm generalizing obviously, Mm. but people are expecting results because they want to get out of there quick. They want, okay, this is, I've had surgery. This, This is my injury. This is the wound. This is the care that's needed. I need to know how to get to back to doing like they just want that sort of done out whereas some of the the i i I don't know how to frame it not less clinical less i guess structured areas such as mental health such as forensics that sort of stuff where people aren't necessarily there for our health reason specifically but it might be a whole number of things and it's not even very clear at that point in time what an OT can do for them for most people. I think they're the the workplaces, they're the clinical settings where OTs have, well, need to and also have the opportunity to be a little bit more selective with how they approach the person as opposed to like, yep, okay, here's my tick sheet. This is what we need to get done. Can you do this? Like you were talking about yeah. before, like do you have steps? Do you blah, 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 blah. They're expecting those questions in a surgery. And it makes sense. Most people, if I ask them, you know, they've just had hip surgery and I ask them how many steps are in their house, they're probably going to understand why I'm asking that question. If yeah. I ask someone on a mental health ward, they're going to go, what the fuck do you want to know that for? You're going to break into my house? Like, what are you, why, why, are you casing the joint? What are you doing? So I, I, I feel like, like you were talking about before, where there's different skill sets, different settings, that even that very initial contact is one of those things that I think... Mm can be very different depending on your setting but there are definitely some similarities like i i've never worked in a forensic setting but i know a lot of people who have in the forensic teams up here and i do see some similarities uh on terms of the working skill set of the therapists between those guys that were working in the prisons and in the detention centers um and say like the acute wards the acute mental health Mm. wards um, on turn, and that that was one of them on how you actually approach someone and how you engage with them, and the fact that sometimes that first contact isn't going to be, you know, that's not gonna, there's not going to be fireworks and you know birds and all that sort of stuff. It's not going to be like just <laughs> magic. And yep, your therapeutic relationship is often racing. Like sometimes it takes work. Uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I remember um, speaking to. Um, Sam Sam Baker, he is an occupational therapist here in the UK, and he was um, he works in he used to work in a, like a stalking team, like with the police and working with people that uh, who engage in stalking. And then he was talking about one one person he used to work with, and how he he literally would go to the coffee shop with them every single day or every single session for the, for six months or whatever it was, however long it was, and, until he felt like. Or until the other person felt like the relationship was um, strong enough <laughs> to 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 you know express any of their feelings or anything, do anything else. It was literally let's meet in the coffee shop for coffee. There's no there's no other agenda. <laughs> yeah. That that's, that is what we're trying to do. So yeah, they're approaching in different settings. Whereas in an acute hospital, you can't you can't really do that. And um and time I think that's pressure. why it's really yes time pressure. And I think that's why it's really really important for um occupational therapists all of us to consistently or continuously you know broaden our our, our thinking about the profession and and how we we can deliver it and not you know 
take a, like a one size fits all approach or or my setting is better than your setting. It, it, it's not like that. It's just just make sure that you are aware of how occupational therapy can work across the whole a whole range of different settings because when we approach people you know i can be working with someone that's had an experience with an occupational therapist in a in an acute setting and it will be completely different to what i'll be doing so it can get a little bit um i don't know if that's a that's a bad thing or a negative thing for our profession as well um maybe but people need to realize that it that's not it the people different people take completely different approaches across across the breadth of occupational therapy and not you know, literally not one size one size fits all yeah i did a, a podcast uh not long ago for a lady um called ellie who runs a podcast called the chewy head podcast which is her mental health experience that she's turned into a podcast and is, is putting out there and she was interviewing clinicians and i did an episode for her and i was talking about a guy that i worked with in an acute unit um and literally he wouldn't talk to anyone like completely everyone thought he was non-verbal like he just wouldn't say anything he would have these sort of really aggressive outbursts every now and then but literally for i think it was about three or four weeks all i went because he was in the lock side of the wards he was in the piku um and all i did was go in and throw a football with him like rugby ball mm-hmm. uh and that's it that's it that's all uh, maybe for 10 15 minutes a day for it would have been probably three weeks that's all i did and that was it but it was similar to what you were saying before. Like it was essentially until he felt comfortable with me. And then after that, I was the only person he would talk to. But we made mm-hmm. some really good progress after that. Um, but it was just because I didn't go in there gar- like guns blazing with my clipboard and my assessments and all of my jargon and all that sort of stuff. I took a football and the very first thing he said to me was he asked because I had fluoro yellow runners on. And that was it. Like they were my conversation starter, and he was asking me about my my shoes. Um, and that was it. Like that's where our relationship started was throwing a football and yeah. him talking about my my fluoro yellow shoes. Uh, but that's that's the sometimes to build a good relationship, you mm. have to go that slow. Like he, it, sometimes the faster you push it, the faster you're gonna break it <laughs> pretty much yeah and, and i think i think it is the pressures that maybe we put on ourselves or individuals put on themselves uh, in, in general in, in occupational therapy it's like the pressure to achieve the pressure to do really well yeah. the pressure to make sure that you know I'm, I'm seen in the best light and and you know that comes with difficulties because it, it's, it's, it's a structure around you it's probably not the pressure you're putting in and stuff it's a pressure around you that is doing it and uh, yeah i think it's just having an understanding that it's okay it's, it's all right if you um if you don't if the person doesn't want to talk to you today or if it's okay if this person doesn't want to talk to you for a week but actually maybe even him or her coming to the to the kitchen and making their own cup of tea and just walking straight out is actually <laughs> the relationship that, that the person it's enough yeah it's, it's, it's enough and then eventually that person when they're ready they might ask you that one question um <laughs> and then that will trigger off everything else that they might want to work with you on and that's it. And that was like for that guy, it was just a matter of finding that one thing that he would actually engage with. And like I said, I didn't need to say anything for weeks, but I found that one thing that I knew he would engage in and that he obviously enjoyed. And then we, it's just a, essentially a strength based approach. We built off that. <laughs> so we tapped yeah. into what he enjoyed, we tapped into what he would engage in, and then we did that until we built enough of a relationship between us that we could then build off that and branch out into other things so Mm -hmm. and what you were saying before about um like ot's 
coming from different approaches, I, I actually think that's really valuable. And that's one thing I've taken a lot from doing this podcast is, uh, I mean, I did have a fairly wide network of OTs through conferences and stuff that I've met and talked to, et cetera. But I, you, any of those conferences, if anyone's been to a conference, you don't, there's not a lot of like really clinical discussions. There's a lot of it's about research and projects and all that sort of stuff. But no one really sits down and like, like we are now, like gets into the nitty gritty of like the real bread and butter of like communication like something like that you you don't end up having a lot of conversations about that at those kinds of events mm-hmm. coming on the or starting this podcast and and being able to meet and talk to ot's from one all over the world and also from various different practice areas that i've never some of them i've never heard of uh <laughs> has been really valuable to even just at that the, that real basic skill level see how other people do it because mm. up until that point like i only know what i know and now i can sort of compare it to and, and like i know for me what works and what doesn't but now i can see all these other sort of different avenues that people might be able to take to do the same thing that i do in a in a very yeah. different way um i think being able to get that breadth of experience is difficult a little bit in uh your day-to-day thing and i think that's even if you're not actually doing a podcast actually listening to podcasts a lot of the time and hearing the perspectives some of the guys you've had on your podcast Mm -hmm. i've i've never even (laughs) like heard of people working in those areas or or spoken to people working in those areas but listening to your conversation with them because i'm like god i hope you ask this and then for whatever reason you're like reading my mind (laughs) Uh, and I learn from that as well. So even if it's not yeah. me actually having the conversation, being able to be exposed to it uh, has been a really valuable and being able to, this sort of OT podcast world, I guess, um, has I been think, a really valuable I, thing for me. I, I think that's very important. I know, yeah, we can all, all promote a podcast. Like we, we would promote our own podcast because we want it to people to listen to it. But I actually really do think having found podcasting personally, um, listening to them i think it's just it, for starters it's it's a it's a it's mostly free it's mm. probably all free um so you're learning for free and like i said right at the beginning education you can't you really can't turn down free free education you know um but yeah it, listening to different podcasts me talking to other um, occupational therapists in different practices just you know it just widens your mind about the different approaches taken and up you're absolutely right i think when you go to the, these different like training and conferences and things like that you don't get into some of the real nitty-gritty stuff the, the stuff that you do every single day and that's the stuff, stuff that actually if you do well every day yeah. will, will, will make you more successful some not not discounting like you know the um, research that, that is very important as well but sometimes you know you want to get down to the practice what, what are you doing that is really effective in this way I might try that or if you've got this sort of group idea how can I adapt it in my setting to make it you know you, to make it more valuable for the people that work so all these like conversations yeah, yeah. i think is really 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 important you know to listen to other people um i personally personally i don't i like reading but i don't like reading as much as i like <laughs> listening so yeah, I'm, no, I'm biased <laughs> i'm biased because i'll listen to uh as many podcasts um as i can because i'm thinking oh wow that's that's really interesting i didn't think about it this way um uh, just because of my, of my learning style but um yeah i think it's really important that we, you're putting out the 
the content that you're putting out and other people are putting out because it is really valuable for other people to see that actually OT you can you can work in this way it's really difficult challenging in this way but actually we can you don't have to do the status quo <laughs> you don't have to stick to the foundations you can actually build a house um uh, with, with your own skills and yeah, with yeah. your own lived experience because it's not it's not <laughs> Yeah, again, it's not this, this, this is cool. We don't have to. I think I, I don't. Who was you? I'm trying to think back. You said something on one of your episodes. Um, I think it's more, maybe your latest one, actually, or the one that I've listened to the recent one. And you said about, you know, how some people go into um, different practice areas and then. Um, and you, you you ask or oh, why are we doing things i think a lot of students ask these kind of questions what why why do you do this this way it's, it's because we've always we've yeah, always yeah. done it this way <laughs> well okay why have you why have you always done it this way i, I don't know that's <laughs> i don't know because i'm i'm only following the last occupation yeah, yeah. It. well i want to do it this way and that, that question that question when you want to make that comment i want to do it this way that's maybe when the, clashes um come in, into it but that's absolutely fine you know it, it, it's good to challenge other people but yeah i think it's really important um that people listen people explore different types of occupational therapy and you know take bits and pieces that might might be applicable to the um the settings or if if it's not even applicable have an understanding of it because you don't you don't know who you're going to come across eventually because <laughs> again we work with people you don't know who you're going to come across and what kind of experiences that they've had in their life um so now i'm not i'm not an expert in hoarding i'm not an expert at all but i know that if someone says something about holding because i've spoken and listened to someone else talking about holding i might have an idea or an understanding of why someone might do this and i can explore that a little bit more with that with this person that I'm working with, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, it's interesting, a couple of things. So similar to what you were saying about that, like when I do go to conferences and that kind of stuff, and I know that it's probably not how everyone does conferences, but for me, it's I'll go and listen to people's presentations and it's almost like, this is going to sound really ridiculous, but it's kind of like a job interview where I'm like, I'm listening for people that I find interesting and then I'll go and chase them up in the breaks and have conversations. And that's, to me, when I get the value out of uh, conferences is those breaks where I can have those conversations and this this podcast allows me to have those conversations without having to go to a conference or pay for a conference yeah. or travel to yeah. a conference. Uh, I can I can hit people up and have these conversations yeah, whenever, whenever I want, yeah, um, yeah. and that, and likewise, it's even if it's not me having them, it's like listening to your your podcast or or Sarah's yeah. podcast or any of the other OT podcasts. I can listen to those conversations, and I take a lot out of them. Um, there's been podcasts in the past where, like, I'll have listened to it like a few weeks before, and then either someone will ask me about a particular topic, I'll be like, oh, I don't know anything about that, but I do know this because I listened to this. You know, maybe check this resource out. Um, literally that literally yeah. that uh, you, you, for size you can't be an expert in everything that's no. I don't think anyone ever in the world can be an expert in everything um, uh, but at the same time you can have you know a little bit about everything <laughs> you know you can that little bit that you know is it's, it's okay um, that you can share with someone else that, that if that person's really interested in that bit little bit they can go ahead and you know um, re- research it for themselves and uh, expand on on how much more they want to do with that but yeah now it's pretty it's, talking about podcasts I, you know I, we're, we're biased because we we we, we run podcasts in the world and um yeah. <laughs> we run podcasts and we find it really interesting but it's, it's, it, i think it's a, for start, because it's 
again going back to it, it's a free resource you know the people that give up their times um you know to come in uh, on the different episodes and you know really talk about some of those things that you talk about some of the nitty-gritty stuff of occupational therapy i think is invaluable really yeah because i think one of the things that and i, I was curious i'm curious to get your take on this because something i get asked a lot with regards to the podcast is why well firstly how do you do it um but secondly it's like don't you ever run out of people to talk to and i'm like well for me uh you know i'm gonna assume and you can correct me if i'm wrong that's the same for you based on what you said earlier in the episode is i have a genuine interest in people so i could literally talk to someone i could talk to a whole team working in the same place working with the same group of people (laughs) and each individual person's story is going to be different how they got there is going to be different what they do differently Mm. how they think differently how they view things differently to me that stuff is super interesting um, that's why I usually start these episodes off every time with like how people got into OT because that to me starts setting the scene of how they're actually going to view things because their story is what shapes them. Uh, yeah. So that that narrative, and I know some people have had emails from people like, oh, you can do less of that and just focus on the topic. I'm like, you can, but there's other podcasts that do that. Like this, <laughs> this, this, this is a podcast for me to explore the stuff that's interesting to me and i know that sounds yeah. selfish but too bad but i don't think it's selfish <laughs> i don't think it's selfish as well and, I, and oh, everything everything every episode i've done on my podcast is is initially because i have an interest and i want to learn yeah, more yeah. about it um uh, and i always say because if i want to learn more about it there, there's probably going to be loads of more people that want to learn about it but don't know how to find <laughs> the way to learn about it. or don't have the the time to you know do the research and seek out the people and and talk to them so yeah initially i'm I'm the one that (laughs) (laughs) want to learn more by and once i've once you get into the conversation you think wow that's amazing that's really that's really really cool but ultimately you're talking to people you're talking to other individuals and going back to the same point we work with people so talking to someone just because they they may not be ill (laughs) in in that instant but actually just engaging you know talking to someone being personable sharing that human connection um it's really important it's a skill that i build i'm building on to use in my own practice it's a it's a life it's a life skill we're we're working with people yeah we might have the knowledge and the foundation of occupational therapy and understanding of people from a uh, like a science perspective um you still need to sit in a room with someone and have a conversation with them and that's that's... and um yeah that's where I think that's again looking at OT as a skill set. Like, yes, that some of that communication stuff is a skill set that I brought to podcasting, and then also podcasting is something that's helped me develop that skill set f- further for OT practice. And I take the example of what we've done right now is that we didn't even have a topic; we just started talking. We never set a topic. We didn't prepare anything. I didn't even tell you we'd started. We just started talking and here we are now. Uh, So like being able to be genuinely curious about people, I think is, I don't know if, do you think that's something that can be taught? That's a difficult question, man. That's a difficult question because it's a tricky one, isn't it? I don't know. I can only talk about it from, my life and everything that I've been through my life and my perspective and you know all that kind of stuff I don't particularly from my point of view think that that can be taught um and I think 
someone could correct me if I'm wrong, absolutely fine, no problem. Like I've only gone into this role that I'm in now because I feel like my whole being, the, t- the type of person I am, aligns with this type of work. Um, like I would, I would personally find it really difficult um, to go into a, a very structured, very uh, like, basically like a cute hospital yeah. setting. Like I, I, I really, like I said in, previously in other places, I, like I've, I really enjoyed my hospital-based um, practice placements. I really, really did enjoy them because it was a snapshot. But I, I really do not feel like I could do that personally because I know myself could do that every single day. Like I just, I would get, um, yeah, I, I would probably get burnt out quite quickly, <laughs> quite quite quickly because I would get frustrated about the progress that maybe people were making or not or not making because yep. I can't, I just can't decipher it that way. Um, yeah, so I, the job that I'm in now allows me to be able to be curious about people. Literally, I could. I could call up someone. Yeah, I have a, I have a treatment plan in my mind of where I want to get work with this person, and that's that's done, that's done jointly anyway. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so the person sort of knows where we're going, what we're trying to do, um, rather than me just writing and saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna, we're gonna do this to you," because that doesn't work. So it, it sort of allows me to be curious about what this person wants, what this person needs, what this, what understanding this person has, has of themselves, um, and I think it's difficult to do that if you're mindset or your being is just to sort of help people because when you want to help people you can't just go down the structured route of right we need to and i'm not bashing <laughs> occupational therapists that do this it's, it's again everyone everyone's different yeah, but i couldn't just different dish out. it's like different personalities yeah I, I, I just i just couldn't dish out um uh, um equipment and different. i just that's just uh, that's just not me <laughs> that's just even though i know how to do it i just couldn't yeah, yeah. do it on a daily basis um so yeah this uh, just me being uh, curious as a person wanting to find out more wanting to discuss more with this person wanting to share um space with someone and not yeah not be extremely judgmental because uh, i know we all have our internal biases anyway um and yeah, yeah, that might definitely. not come out straight away but but not be like this person has done this so that it makes them a bad person I, no it, it really doesn't i just want to find out who they are and yeah. what possibly caused them to do what they did <laughs> yeah. so yeah but I, I, don't, I don't i don't think it can be taught i think it's a i think it's an inbuilt skill that you sort of learn from um childhood uh you you, you can have you can ask questions that could you know trigger that kind of curiosity but mm. just just being yourself in general in the room with someone just being comfortable enough to just have a conversation i think it's i don't think it's something that you can be taught yeah because i was i i think i've always been that way i've always been what i would call behavior curious like i've always been wondered even when i was a kid i'd be like well why does someone make this decision over this decision or why did i choose to do that like why did i act out like that uh, or someone else usually what i was thinking about was was someone else's behaviors but the, it's a skill that when I was little, I used to be a little, I say like maybe primary school and into high school. Um, I, I You get very good at sort of reading people and being able to predict behaviors and that kind of stuff, uh, which used to annoy some people because I used to be like, <laughs> oh, you're going to do this or you're going to do that. And then it would annoy them when they did. Um but it was a skill set that I, I feel like 
it, it was definitely wasn't something that I took into account when I chose to do OT, but I feel like mm. it's that kind of skill set, that kind of uh, experience growing up that probably led me more towards mental health as opposed to, you know, hospital or anywhere else. Um, and it's definitely a skill set that I've used mainly because it's just part of me. I haven't been, I can't change it, but it's definitely something that's come in handy, I think, uh, in working in mental health and being able to even explore, uh, not necessarily for me to be able to like predict behaviors because that sounds like the medium or some kind of weird TV show, but (laughs) more to be able to uh, foster that curiosity and be like, okay, so this person's choosing to you know, buy drugs instead of buying groceries. Like what, what would, because for me personally, that's very different from sort of my value set. Like I couldn't picture, even if I was using yeah. drugs, I'd be like, surely yeah. you'd prioritize food. Because I mean, look at me, I like food. Um, <laughs> but that kind of, that, especially that sort of comparison to like, wow, that I, that that's a very different decision to what I would make. Like wonder why they made that. And being yeah. able to, formulate questions because that's again this is a separate skill set being able to actually formulate questions um that are going to be appropriate to the level of relationship that you've got with that person um to be able to find that information that's a whole series of different skill sets because that is that is a difficult skill that is a very difficult skill and uh and it's well even like going back to where i work now um working with young people is it's a skill by itself mm. you know especially when oh, you're yeah. i'm living that old but i just feel like there's a massive gap between myself and that age anyway the age that i'm working with because things change all the time isn't it growing up things change all the time but so having a having the skill to work with and capture their imagination to be able for them to sit there and you know tell me very quite sometimes quite distressing things that might have occurred to them or experiences that they've had it's, it's a skill and i've never really thought about it because i just again going back just to it. Uh, can it be taught yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just you just you just do it but actually if you think about the 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 skills that are needed it's a it's a it's a very difficult skill to teach um and and, and I, don't, I don't think you can um but it's, it's something that maybe comes with a little bit of experience or maybe it's come if if that's how you want to be maybe watching people that do it well um watching interviewers on tv let's say or listening to podcasts or you know even colleagues that you you feel like do it quite well but you just have to be careful that you know you need to know your own personality um because sometimes banter to me is not banter to you (laughs) so or banter to the person you're working with so you need to sort of it's like a bit like a detective (laughs) you need to work out this person and and then throw in a few things that you think the person might feel comfortable with from what they've told you previously. Um, so like I'll go and uh, talking to one these guys um, when I see them um, or on the phone, because um, now we're not, we're not able to see them at the moment because of COVID. Yeah. So I'd go on the phone sometimes and someone might say it's, it's unprofessional. Someone might be looking at why is this guy speaking to them like that? But I'll go, I'll go, oh, oh yo, yo, is this, is, who's speaking? Wait, who's this? <laughs> so I speak their language, yeah, yeah. sort of. Because I feel comfortable doing that, but I know that some of my colleagues won't feel comfortable doing that. So you just need to find your own sort of way um, that you can use to grab people's attention. And, you know, but yeah, I definitely don't think formulating questions, thinking on the spot. These are very difficult skills to 
to be taught. And I think it has to be an inbuilt thing that you have in order to work in places that require um, high levels of skills in, in, in that area. Yeah, it, it's interesting too because I, I think that, again, going back to the to university thing, like university teaches you that it's important to build rapport, for example, and they teach you, you know, the what we're talking about like the science of interviewing you know open closed questions funneling down tunneling up all of those well i can't even remember the names of the theories but all of those sort of textbook uh communication skills but i i still feel like one of the biggest aspects and again the one i, I i'm not 100 percent sure if or how it can be taught or if it's just a matter of practice is being able to choose the right demeanor, the right questions and that sort of stuff based on the relationship. Because like you just said, like that example, like if I'd said that to a client exactly the way you said it, <laughs> it wouldn't go it wouldn't go very well. But also like I've had the, the, the example that I, give, I have been asked before with, by students when I've had students is with regards to swearing. And in Australia, swearing's relatively common. Uh, I know it's not always in in every country, but uh, it is relatively common. And there's a lot of people that will look at swearing as, oh, that's unprofessional and that's blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. But they sort of look down on it. And for the most part, I, I agree. But there are clients where I will incorporate that into my dialect with them because that's uh, that's their language. That And they're not, I'm obviously not, including it in an offensive way i'm not swearing at them i'm not calling them names that sort of stuff but it's uh just part of their their dialect that they would use with me as well um that allows me to connect with them on their level it allows me to enhance the rapport now i wouldn't go in straight out of the gate with that kind of stuff but i no you you become aware again probably more with practice than with knowledge but you become aware when you've built a level of rapport, when you've built a therapeutic relationship with someone where you can then adjust your communication style to be more casual. And you can then often sort of, I guess, modulate, you can modulate anything, you can modulate anxiety levels with how you yeah. communicate with people. You can modulate how comfortable they are in a new situation. If you're taking them, for example, if I'm taking someone to see a brand new GP, me going to see a brand new GP adds a level to anxiety to myself. And I'm taking someone else who's seen 15 doctors this week and I'm taking them to see another new one. If I can make them feel comfortable just being with me and sort of it also adds to the like, I'm here for you, I'm on your team, I'm here to support you, uh, That then that's a tool I'm going to use. Like I'm not going to mm. not use it because – Joe Blow in the office says that's unprofessional. Like if it benefits my client and it's obviously not illegal, uh, then it's, yeah. it's, it's something yeah. in my toolkit that I'm going to use. 100%. You're, you're absolutely right. And then, yeah, I think especially like in the setting that I'm in, you really have to find things that work well with all the people that you work with because that would definitely reduce or help to reduce the... Um, you know their engagement in violence because they know that they maybe when you speak to them like this they, it might calm them down and it, it might distract them in a certain way or whatever whatever works with that person it, it, 
definitely in my environment I think we me and my colleagues um we're very very conscious of that what, what works well with people especially because these guys a, a lot of the guys have got tensions between each other because they tend to be from the same kind of area the same kind of um gang line culture you know so they've got conflicts between each other so there's always like a tension level <laughs> that is it's, it's 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 always there that you can't even cut you can't cut it it's it's consistently there because of how deep some of these their own personal issues go so knowing how you can speak to someone knowing knowing them very well but then also we're very fortunate like me and you are very very fortunate um uh, in where we work or where we've worked previously that we get to spend a lot of time with people Whereas maybe in an acute setting, people don't. And that's, then that's understandable because you can't, like having a day or two with someone is very difficult to work, work them out. So we're very fortunate. But when you are put into that sort of fortunate and privileged position to, to work with someone for a long period of time, you have to make the effort to know what works well for them and not just go back to those tick box things that were, uh, okay, mental health, what have you got? What's, what's the symptoms of this? Let's just work with the symptoms. Like, it's, <laughs> that's not yeah, how it works. Yeah. You really have to just to sort of know the person um, well enough just to help them, like you said, reduce some of the um, uh, anxiety feelings they might be having about different things. Um, you know, reduce the anxiety they might have about maybe stepping out onto the yard when they're going out to place because they don't know what is going to be happening around them. You know, making them comfortable enough to share some of their face with you so you have you understand their face that you don't then you don't put them in a situation that's gonna you know trigger them <laughs> into responding in a, in, a, in a negative way you know I, i'm never going to put someone in the same building you know the same space as someone that uh, i don't know is, is uh, these kind of things that do happen as uh, potentially uh murdered uh, their friend yeah. You, you wouldn't do that because that's obviously going to trigger them. You wouldn't put someone that's experienced extreme trauma related to being stabbed in a position where there's going to be sh- loads of um, sharp instruments that and there's someone that they, they don't, they've had a little bit of conflict with because, you know, yeah. these things will happen. So, yeah, you just have to work out the person. You have to really listen to the person. You have to really engage with the person to a level that you can use some of those um, relationship skills, those communication, you know them in a certain way to speak. Like you just said, like this, if, if you need to swear about something that might get their attention quickly, <laughs> then then do it. And I, I, I don't personally see that as a, as offensive or not, as unprofessional. You're just really using the skills that you know that the person will respond to the best. Yeah, and I'm not saying like, go out and swear at everyone. Like no, no, definitely not. Don't I, do I think, that. I think don't the... Do don't do that. I think the epitome for me of someone who's a really good communicator is similar to what we were talking about earlier with regards to ot and it just being a skill set like communication there's a ton of different skills and being able to pick the right one at the right Mm -hmm. time and use it at that moment that to me is the epitome of really good communication and yes you know do a foul language and again on the complete opposite end of the scale really prim proper english is another skill that you can use because obviously anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that's probably not my forte. That's not my default <laughs> setting. But I can use it if it, I determine that a situation is going to benefit from using that level of English, using mm. that sort of academic level sort of formal language. Again, it works for both ends of the scale. Like, But it's yeah. about having a number of different tools in that toolkit that you can essentially keep control of the situation using just your communication skills. And I that that's 
I that's I find that stuff really fascinating, and that's sort of where I have always sort of aimed to be with regards to like being a clinician is being able to have that communication, being able to have communication skills to a level where I'm like, yeah, like I can feel comfortable, even if I'm still get nerves, even doing some of these podcasts, like I still get nerves, I still get anxious, but I know that I've got a skill set that I can keep control of a situation nine times out of 10, unless something obviously goes really pear shaped. (laughs) I think it's even doubly important, just all the things you said, doubly important when you're actually working with, um, uh, with people uh, in wherever you work, because I think there's two different strands, isn't there? So when you talk about the, maybe a podcast, this podcast, or maybe doing a presentation to uh, of occupational therapist, it, it's mm. very different, isn't it? It's very different um, because you can't just go to the default position of I'm going to speak in this way. I'm going to make sure you understand um, what I'm saying. I'm going to present my uh, uh, whatever you're talking about in, in a way that it's like the baseline, isn't it? <laughs> it's like the baseline that most people will um, understand. And then yeah, when yeah. you move into clinical settings and in in the spaces that we we work, uh, that's when you really need to be able to control your uh, your communication skills and pick the right one for the right time and 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 know when it's going wrong. That's a skill as well. Know that's when know when something is going wrong and being able to say, oh, "Listen, I think I was a little bit." Uh, I was, I, I said something wrong there and I, I didn't really mean it or this is what I meant because I think that that's something else that we try to I try to do or my me and my colleagues try to do in the when working with the guys that we admit fault we admit yeah. mistakes because because and I don't know I don't know this is just a general or some big massive general assumption I'm about to make I don't know if all occupational therapists do that uh, or I, I don't know if a lot of people I don't know if they're comfortable enough to say maybe I shouldn't have said this I apologize um, I think I stepped. I must have said something wrong here because I can feel that you've you've disengaged from the conversation. Um, is it because of what I said? I don't know if people do that, but I'm, I try to do that a lot because again, it comes down to role modeling. Yeah, behaviors, yeah. Role model, especially with the people that I work with. Your role modeling behaviors. If if I do something wrong, I, I just you can apologize for it. Um, talk about it and then move on. Yeah. Rather than laying a hang around in the space fill the room and then being ultimately detrimental to the relationship that you've built with this person. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good question. I I, I don't think I've ever really come across anyone that I mean, I earlier in my career I probably definitely wasn't comfortable and it wasn't more that I would uh well, to the very start I probably just didn't even know that I'd said something wrong mm-hmm. and I'd just be like, "Oh, this person's so difficult to work with." Um but then it, once it got to the point where I'd started going, oh, that didn't work. It, 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 for me, I don't know, maybe I'm a slow learner, but it, it <laughs> starts off as something that I would sort of only really click onto like well after it had happened and be like, oh, I wonder if they behave like that because of what I said. And then as I got more aware of it, it sort of the time frame for when I realized started getting shorter and shorter <laughs> until finally I was able to like pick it up on the fly, like during the conversation. I think, I think depending on the conversation, depending on the setting too, I still don't know how I would, I, I don't think I manage it that formally. Cause I think for, Either that or I just haven't stuck my foot in it real bad yet. Yeah, it yeah, will yeah, happen. Yeah. It's one of those things. <laughs> um, but I, I think, uh, 
like one of the things I've always thought is like behavior is language. So if I say something and I can see someone react to it, like I know whether it's good, bad, ugly, otherwise, like whatever I've said has hit our nerve, hit our trigger for that person. For me, rather than I, I try not to think of it as like oh, I've done something wrong with that. I, mm. I for me, it's like how can I ask or what can I ask to try and explore that or firstly work out if it's too sensitive to explore um, and then explore that to try and work out like what's going on there because I I know like especially if it's something that I've asked that would most people would be like oh that's relatively mundane Um, and I could see the person react to it I'm like oh there's something something's there something there Um, obviously if I and, and I'm well aware in mental health, we obviously we ask people quite often whether they're suicidal, self harm, uh, thinking of harming mm. themselves, thinking of harming others. And for some people, especially people who've had suicide attempts in the past, they can take that question very personally. Even though they're probably asked by every clinician they've ever met, it's still a sore spot. So I usually will preempt those kinds of questions and be like, yes. "Listen, like I know we have to ask, and we only ask because we worry and we care about you." But have you had any thoughts recently, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? So some of those things that I know are generally going to be a bit sort of emotive for, for a lot of people, I can mm. preempt uh, and kind of, I guess, lay a little bit of groundwork to say, like, listen, I'm not asking this to be a dick. Uh, but <laughs> we're asking this because I genuinely worry about you. Like, you wouldn't be sort of in this hospital if no one cared kind of thing and we we want to make sure that you're safe yeah. and you're happy and all that sort of stuff so but no it, you're absolutely right I it's think, the ones that I think catch that, you off guard that uh yeah are, are, are dis- often difficult is there this well it's like a dis- disclaimer prior yeah, to yeah. asking that question um but uh, yeah no that's that's really important especially when you know that this this um question will be triggering or could possibly be be, be triggering it's one of those things where where you're in conversation with someone and you're, you're whatever conversation you're having with the person, you're, you're really captivated by it and you just want to find out more. You just want to keep finding out more. And sometimes you can then say the wrong thing and then that will change the whole dynamic of the, uh, of the conversation. That's when you have to be quick to um, realize that, Oh, maybe, maybe this is why I said uh, that has caused this person to sit back and yeah, that's the, the again that's that's a skill by itself even watching the room and and noticing that yeah this conversation can go left or right being, <laughs> being, able, sure you being stick, able to read the track. room is massive and when i say read the room like it's often just you and another person yeah. um but it's also especially nowadays after covid and there's a lot of people working like telehealth like it's being able to read the room via Zoom, it's being able to read the room via telephone, like being able to pick up. For me, it's generally changes in behavior because, again, that's my thing apparently. Um, <laughs> but it'll be like uh, like if I'm with a person or over Zoom, it'll be like changes in tone, changes in body language. Um, and being able to – I think the important thing is to not – assume that every change or every specific change means the same thing for every person no um like there's quite i know quite a lot of people me included that will sit with my arms crossed because it's comfortable not because i'm like closed off which is what most people assume that that means um if you've ever spoken to me ever anyone you'll know that i'm very rarely closed off and i've got plenty other ways i can shut down a conversation than crossing my arms <laughs> um but crossing my arms, like i'll often sit with my arms crossed because it's comfortable 
Um, yeah. So being able to notice those things, but then don't, it's almost like don't jump to conclude, don't act on every sort of, oh my God, oh my God. Did you, every cue. did you just blink three times to send Kwaku? Uh, oh my God, <laughs> you haven't done that yet. This must mean that he doesn't want to talk to me anymore. What are we going to do? Like don't overreact to things too yeah. quickly. But just take note of things. Take note for patterns. I'm always looking for patterns and, and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, you're right. I'm just one of the difficulties that I've had, um, or challenges, not difficulties, challenges that I've had um, during this COVID um, pandemic here because um, we're, we, we have not been able to see the, the young men face-to-face uh, for probably since... January ish, we had a, a, a bit of time to see them face to face, and it was taken away from us quite quickly again. Um, yeah. It's just very strange. This pandemic's just, yeah. Anyway, so we we haven't been able to see them basically for a whole year. I've really not, I haven't seen them very much. So they're very fortunate, or we're, we're very fortunate that they've got um, Intel telephone, like a so that we can ring in. They can't, they can't ring us, but yep. we can ring into them. Um, so one of the challenges I've had is reading, reading the room, because <laughs> since I've been working there, I've always had them up, like in in our in our space in in, in the rooms that we talk, and I can see um, them how they what they do. Or I can do things with them together b- before we settle down to have some some of the more serious conversations. So I can so. I can change the mood of the room um, by you know, all these. When we talk about icebreakers, we can we can break the ice in the room yeah. and then move slowly into um, a real serious t- uh, conversation before we sort of recap and finish the session. And that normally lasts for let's say about an hour. Um, but what, what's happened on the phone is that I can't see that. I can't I can't break the ice, um, and I, I don't know if it's maybe it's a skill that I need to learn. Um, talking on the phone to people because that's not what i'm used to doing yeah 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 so i found that some of the conversations are very difficult because i can't see what their body language is doing i can't they might be just be saying yes no maybe whatever answer they're giving me i can't read it because i'm only going by the tone of voice yeah and only going by the tone of voice again it's easier to jump to uh, conclusions but i don't want to do that i don't want to jump to conclusions because i know that these guys normally behave in a different way when i ask very similar questions so I can tell that if they're comfortable or not comfortable. So uh, I'll give an example. Once um, recently, I was talking to someone on the phone, and I can just, I just, I, I can sense that this guy. I just I, because I've known him for so long, I can sense that he's frustrated. Yeah. Um. And and I and and the only way I could do that is when he's giving me like yes, yep, nope, yep. I answer. I'm thinking. And I thought, you know, I'm going to challenge this. <laughs> I'm going to challenge this because I know. And I said, is, are you are you just are you giving me these answers because you don't want to talk about it because some, sometimes when we're in the room and you don't want to talk about something you do this instead and he was like uh, you know nah, yeah I don't want to talk about it I just didn't know how to say it so it was very it was difficult because if, if he was in the room with me I would have just known okay this person is doing this so I, yeah, I, you yeah. know I'm gonna I'm gonna stay clear and I'll maybe we do something else and then come back slowly to that conversation but I just couldn't tell I just could not tell over the phone just because of the, what, the answers because that's how it normally is he would normally say yep yeah, yep yeah, no no even in person yeah, but yeah he would do other things with his body he would look around the room he would uh, lean back on his chair you know he would do all these different things that I've really kept close eye into and I just, so that's one that's one thing that's been one of the challenges I've had with this COVID pandemic, um, talking over the phone with the young men, uh, trying to keep them on the phone, trying to, you know, explore different things. Some of them are, don't, 
don't want to talk on the phone. Some of them um, are a bit paranoid because the, the phone calls are recorded, you know, yeah. all these things. So it, it just it makes the relationship uh, really that's a, difficult. That's a big but barrier. It's a massive barrier, but that's the only way that we can maintain any sort of relationship because I know other prison settings don't have these kind of communication lines. So some people haven't literally haven't seen the people that they work with for like six, seven months. Yeah. Uh, how do you do that? How do you go back? Um, well, it's okay because you're eventually going to see them again, but it, it just, you know, puts a bit of a, a, a dent in the, in the relationship. Yeah. Um, but it's really difficult when you can't see someone um, uh, or, or, you know, talk to them in a the normal setting. Uh, you know, I know people doing telehealth that have got Zoom, like you were just saying, that you, at least you can see. Yeah, yeah. you, can <laughs> you see, see a little bit what's going Yeah, some of it. But actually, when you're just talking on the phone or, you know, even if through like uh, communication on, on letter, writing letters, because we write like a pen pal. <laughs> so write a letter to see how you're doing. Um, yeah, that's that's a little bit even more, even more tricky. So uh, behavior change and patterns in behavior, you really have to pay attention to, to that both verbally and you know on non-verbal communication as we say and the ability to to read the room like you said as well is, is very very important um to see how this person responds to different questions that you might put to them yeah and i, I think uh, like the way you actually brought it up with that guy in the, in your example was is a really good way to do it i mean that's generally how i i tend to do it as well if i am noticing something i don't come out and go you're not listening or you're bored or whatever. Like you can say, like if you have known the person before and you know it's different from them, you're like, oh, this isn't how you know, like something going on. This is, you, you seem a bit sort of distracted today or you, you don't seem yourself or that sort of thing. Or if you haven't known the person, um, something that I've used is just sort of, I guess, uh, comparing what they're doing to other experiences I've had in the past. Like, oh, you know, generally like, you know, you, you sound a bit down generally when I've talked to people and they've used words like blah, blah, blah. Um, they've, they've then gone on to tell me that they're, they're feeling a bit off today. Like, are you feeling all right? Um, so being able to, I, I find, try externalize the observation from yourself is a yeah, really good way of being able to bring it up with the person because then the person doesn't have that default of, they're picking on me or they're out to get me or anything like that. It makes them think like, oh, so I do do this differently normally. Why am I doing it? If, even if they haven't thought about it or, okay, yeah, they, they've got me. Like <laughs> I am feeling no, down yeah. or I am feeling this or like your guy, like I don't want to talk about it. Um, and when, no, you you're do, absolutely right. when you actually do that, it, it shows that person that one, you listen and you care because you've taken note of like, dude, you'd normally not like this. Like what's going on? The fact that, like, if someone says that to me, I'm like, wow, this person actually knows me, like, and knows, has paid enough attention to pick up on my little cues and that sort of thing. Um, and that I means think that's a lot. why, and I think that's why, like I said before, we're, we're, we're people that work in uh, settings where you get to spend a lot of time with people are actually quite privileged because. Oh, massively. Um, you know, we, talking to people in general is just a wonderful thing, I think yeah some people might not like it but in general most of the time we're all as humans looking for connection right we're looking for connection with people either if it's just like through social media or uh, uh, connections with family or 
connections you're always looking for that that's how we that's how we grow as people right yeah. um so having the ability to just connect with people and and, and do that and basically get paid for it <laughs> get paid yeah, for that? work. it's the dream <laughs> it's, a, it's a dream because you get to talk to someone you get to know someone and then getting to know them you're using what their likes and dislikes or you're getting to know how they behave and what's upsetting them and what's what's not upsetting them to help them get over whatever they're experiencing it's just a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing it's an, and it's a skill it's a it's a, it's a skill and I think that skill comes with experience um because I know for sure that uh when I first when, like my first ever clinical role sort of or working in the in the clinical setting um not as an occupational therapist that it took me a long time to you know feel comfortable enough with, with people because I was just very much I know the sports and exercise works. I know the, <laughs> I know sports and exercise works with people because we're trying to improve your health and, you know, it, it might work on your mind a little bit and make you feel a little bit happier. But I was very much set on that and we, I'd get people and we'd do exercise. But as time went on and, you know, whilst people are on the treadmill or, I don't know, going for a walk or whatever I was doing with them, you know, get to know the person, you talk to them, um, you know you just find out what they like what they don't like and then eventually you can use some of those things like just like we've mentioned before you can use some of those things to help them um you know talk about other things that they might find really really difficult so it's, it's, it's a skill and i don't think it's a skill that can be taught um you just have to you can't beat yourself up about it especially when you're newly qualified you can't beat yourself up about it too much and i think that comes with when um maybe you have a really good supervisor or someone a mentor that that you can share these kind of uh, difficulties with them not to be too closed off uh, yeah. basically when those, those things happen to you and actually these these things will come just keep keep trying keep trying just, to just listen treat, treat everything as a learning opportunity <laughs> Do you good bad or otherwise it, it's a learning opportunity you fail at something mm -hmm. it's you're not failing you're learning yeah you're absolutely right and i think one of the right. one of the important things i do want to just get in before we finish up is like yes we've we've spoken a bit about how um a lot of the skills like that we've developed were in roles where we have the privilege of a lot of time to spend yeah. with people. We're not trying to say that that's the only place that these skills, like you need that level of skill set because if anything, I, I feel, if anything, when you're on that limited um, time in, in some clinical areas, it's probably even more important that you're able to do some of these things Yes, there's. I, I think it's a different skill set being able to take a therapeutic relationship from uh, an adequate level to a really deep level, which is what we tend mm. to get the privilege to. But being able to get to that adequate level in a short period of time is a very massively important skill set. And yes, you may not end up getting the, the absolute depth that we can in, in roles where we work with people for months and sometimes years. But being able to get to that adequate level as fast as you can and as much depth as you can in you know the the few hours that you may or one hour yeah. sometimes that you may actually get to spend with someone mm. is massively important so being able mm. to and, and it's the same skill set it's just in implementing it differently so you still need to yeah. look at all your different areas of communication you still need to be able to read the room probably even more so um you still need to be able to tailor your language, tailor your questions. All of that stuff is still the same. You still need to be able to do it. You're just implementing it in a different way. If I'm trying to build a relationship with somebody in 45 minutes because that's all I've got, it's very different. Like so old mate that I, I spent three weeks with throwing a football, yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do that in 45 minutes. 
So if I had met him in a, a role where that's all I had, my chance of getting to the, the level of communication or any level of communication in his instance in that amount of time is Buckley's. But again, yeah, that's yeah. not a reflection of me and it's not a reflection of my communication skills. It's like that in that if that had happened would have been a reflection of the workplace and the pressures that we're under systemically. 100%. 100%. I think it's like, yeah, you're very, very important. And I know we've touched on it a, a lot already. And it's just working in an acute setting is very difficult, very tricky, very fast. <laughs> Every day is different. Um, every day is completely different because you're seeing completely different people for a short period of time every single day so um yeah the skill set there and again it will come with experience 100 percent, it will come with experience to know what type of questions to ask very quickly to get the information that you need to get and do it in a way that makes the person feel comfortable in a very distressing place to be in the hospital you know as soon as you go into hospital for any reason like we said before no no one wants to be in hospital because if you're in the hospital that means that's something that's something uh not so good has happened to you right something's yeah. going on internally in your body <laughs> and that doesn't make you feel good about yourself so yeah you don't always be in the hospital so when when you have that short space of time to make sure the per- to make the person feel comfortable in a short space of time and you know for them to tell you the difficulties they're having or some of the fears that they're having about going back out without all the care around them it's it's a it's a it's an amazing skill to have so i i honestly do praise <laughs> all the people work, working in the acute hospitals and settings i just, I just personally <laughs> prefer um the, the extended period to really get deep um uh, relationships with, with people that i work with yeah yeah definitely uh <laughs> thanks heaps man i we had no again worries. we had no idea where this conversation was going but i actually really enjoyed where it did go <laughs> I think we touched on many different points. That, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what you're going to do with your editing, or you're just going to put it out. I'll put the whole there's thing no, out, there's... unedited. Just whack a song on either end of it, and we're good to go. <laughs> well, there you go, there you go. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, but we did talk about many different things, and I think all all of it is really relevant. And actually, maybe in the future, you, you can pick one of those points and really delve into it um, more more deeply. Yeah, for real. So. Obviously, you've got your podcast, OT and Chill, and I'll throw links in the show notes. Where else can people track you down if they want to say good day and check out your work? Yeah. Uh, well, I am on Twitter. Um, I can be found Twitter OT. Can I remember it? OT underscore Chill. Yep, that's the Twitter link. Um, and so I've got my own sort of OT um, Twitter handle, which is Quaku and Quaku OT. That's it. K W A K U O T. You find me there. I, I don't. I don't do many rights and stuff, but I'm very um, approachable. <laughs> so it's okay if you're not asking any questions. And you got Instagram as well for the podcast, yes. which is yes, just which is OT. OT. Until... Yeah, it's just OT yeah. until I, I couldn't. I couldn't manage to get the same <laughs> handles yeah. for both. I don't know why. It's hard. But yeah, OT. It's OT and chill um, for uh, Instagram. OT underscore chill for Twitter. Awesome. I'll throw links for those in the show notes, but definitely. If you want to hear more of Kwaku's sultry vibes, uh, check out the podcast. Uh, I don't know how much bass I'm going to have to take out of this episode, but uh, there's probably still going to be a lot left in it. So... That's funny, right? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I've never... I, I don't, obviously, I don't see myself as a, a good... Uh, this is my voice. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. I can't change it. Um, but yeah, people, a lot of people have commented. And I'm like, wow, I didn't... Maybe, you know what it is? I think it's maybe the music that I... 
uh, are playing the background of I my podcast. I find listening to your podcast <laughs> educational and extremely relaxing. <laughs> it's the music and the deep voice. And then you also have these like really deep conversations as well. It's like, I it, yeah, it it's it it literally lives up to the name of the podcast. It's OT and Chill. Perfect. I, you've you've done exceptionally well making it match. I, I couldn't have, couldn't have done it better. It's amazing. You know, my dream. One day, you never know. One day in the future, when we all are able to move around the world freely again, and we can go to conferences. Yeah, Brock, yeah, we can go to conferences again. Who knows when that we can have happen. a yeah yeah. We we can have a bit of a all of us all the OT podcast world. Hopefully, we can all assemble and be in the in the chill out zone, the lounge, and then just have a literally just a conversation you know about loads of all the all the different topics that we've ever talked about in the different podcasts that that would be a dream and inviting different guests you know just to come and chill out and just have a conversation because that's that's i personally uh, that's the be- way i learn the best i feel yeah 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 100 percent. that sounds like a lot of fun i'm in let's do it <laughs> cool awesome thanks for coming man and uh yeah uh have fun with the rest of your day thanks man take care If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.